Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. When Code and Theory launched in 2001, digital had a much different meaning. But fast forward to today, and the world continues to adapt to new technologies that have massive implications for communications and business. Code and Theory is at the forefront, from helping advertisers launch their e-commerce businesses to guiding them through the promises and practicalities of Web3. The digital creative agency, which counts one-third of its staff as engineers, is also a leader in inclusive design and storytelling. Code and Theory was behind the rebranding of the Washington Commanders, a name developed based on feedback and input from underrepresented members of the fan base. In this episode, co-founder and executive chairman Dan Gardner and president and CEO Michael Treff talk about how Code and Theory positions itself in a changing digital landscape and what the advertising industry is still getting wrong when it comes to digital. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Michael. Hi, Dan. How are you? Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Doing well. Excited about it. Awesome. I'm really excited to talk with you guys today about code and theory. I want to sort of start with the backstory and Dan, your your journey starting the company. I know back in 2001, things were a little bit different, right? In the digital space. So talk about what you were trying to do then. And then, and then we can get into sort of like how the space has evolved and what that means for the agency. Yeah. Um, so as you said, it started in September 1 of 2001. So a pretty interesting and then turned mm-hmm. into a pretty turbulent time. We started in New York City. And what's interesting is it's very different than it is today. And it's also pretty much exactly the same. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's exactly the same and that there's new emerging technology, things that are unknown. Uh, we're still, I think, in an immature state of what digital can be or what digital can mean uh, across a creative landscape. But clearly, it's also a lot more mature. I mean, when we started the company, there was no uh, social media. There was no uh, you know, smartphones. It's amazing to think uh, you know, we were digital first creative agency in a time when all we really had was some websites and some really uh, poor quality technology to watch TV over the internet. If, if I could even call it TV over the internet at the time, so so it's it's come a long way. But the uh, interesting thing is, you know, when we started, as our name Code and Theory suggests, you know, we started in, with the idea of you know to be at the intersection of creativity and technology, um, and we feel like we're exactly in the same position today, where we're thinking about that intersection of creativity and technology, um, and we have a digital first lens. You know, that doesn't mean digital only; that just means that's the way people engage in the world today. And that's how we think about the work that we do, how we think about the way people engage in a digital first world and all the connection points uh, across a connected user journey in that way. Yeah, it's really interesting. You mentioned it's it's sort of come full circle, right? Like we're we're in this new phase now with Web3 and all these new technologies emerging. What does it mean to be a digital agency today? Like everyone's sort of caught up to this notion of Web2, right? So how do you sort of reposition yourselves in, in a more modern definition of the the sense of digital. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't know if it, for us, it's, it's not a reposition because our positioning has pretty been pretty consistent in how we think and approach things. First of all, you know, we say digital first creative agency, digital first to us, you know, isn't just a buzzword. It actually means something to the point where it's about behaviors and how people act. We say creative, creative agency, and I think we we look at it and, and think about it differently than quote traditional creative agencies. You know, we think about creativity simply as a discipline of solving problems. So, 
our intent has always been and is to to this day to be unclassifiable in a cluttered agency landscape. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing today. It's like, how do we think about business problems and business opportunities and challenges where that intersection of creativity and technology can solve that? It's So we've always been strategically driven at that intersection. When we say digital first, what that means to us is digital is the strategy, not digital as a tactic. If you look at the landscape and you see traditional agencies or even other digital first companies, often what you see is they are like, oh, well, I can do digital. I can make a website. I can do an online banner, a display banner. I can do pre-roll, post-roll. But really, they're just thinking about digital as a tactic, not digital as strategy. Another, I think, big differentiation to us and how we have always looked at things, even to this day, you know, you talk about emerging technologies like Web3 is, we believe we are in the business of building capabilities for our clients. So unlike, you know, a traditional creative company that thinks about a cultural moment and this sort of marketing or ad campaign in this moment, we actually build infrastructure and build things into where the client now has a capability that has an annuity that they weren't able to do in in the past. And I think the last thing that, you know, we believe brand isn't just an identity. It's not just, you know, communications or a product. It's the entire interaction of how users and consumers engage with a brand. And we really approach it that way. So when we think about ourselves as unclassifiable, it's because it's not just an easy box to say, this is the type of brief that comes in. We don't think about the briefs as like channel briefs. We are going to make uh, I'll do a marketing campaign. That's in some ways that's a channel. We're not going to make it just a website. It's not just an app. It's more of a holistic way of we are solving business problems and using our creativity, our, our the way we solve problems, the way we think of things, especially in uh, that intersection of creativity and technology. That's how we approach it, and that's the same thing whether it's emerging technologies like Web three or like I said when we started the company. And, you know, there was no social, you know, mobile phones or smartphones came out or social media. Those were all emerging technologies at one mm-hmm. point where people really didn't exactly understand where the brand integrates within it. What are the opportunities from the business and where it can go and what the future is. So that's We've always been there ready for those challenges. Mm. And, and Dan, if I could just layer one point on it, which is, you know, if you're going to state that you're a digital first creative agency, you sort of have a responsibility to constantly evolve and innovate along with the technologies that are always going to drive that change. So even in you know Dan's introduction, you know, the, the ways consumers interact, the way consumers do things in their life, the way people move through their world, you know, inherently changes over time. And you know, Web two to Web three is just another example of a massive technology disruption that will change mm-hmm. behaviors more than anything else. And our job is to continue to challenge ourselves to make sure that we understand what those changes are, that we don't sort of use the technology solution as the solution unto itself. We don't want to use the technology in search of a problem. We want to find business and consumer problems that we can solve, yeah. um, which usually requires you know leveraging the technology as a strategy, not necessarily the technology as an expression. So let's talk about that. I mean, it seems like a lot of creative agencies out there still don't necessarily know how to use technology in this way. They do view it as more of a tactic, right? Or even something that's a little bit frightening. Like, how is this going to impact the way that I do my job. Why are they still behind on this? Like, what, is it a cultural thing? Is it a DNA thing? Like in in both of your opinions, like what do you think is sort of the biggest uh, causing the most inertia there? Well, I think, you know, in business in general, uh, people are reluctant to change. So whenever there's an opportunity, whenever there's change, people get comfortable in the familiarity of what it is today, whether it's the security of their job, sort of what they know how to do, sort of 
you know, people are trained to sort of be told on task and that's how you execute on it. So when there's big, massive transformational moments, that makes people naturally uncomfortable. Then you layer in that until it really affects your business in a negative way, there's no forcing function. You know, you have innovative or forward uh, thinking companies that want to take new opportunities and look to do that. But then you have companies that sort of are more risk averse and they sort of aren't going to do it until they're forced to do it. Um, you know, if you take the familiarity thing and you, you take into you're not risk averse, like those things kind of just prevent you from making those decisions and taking those risks to lean into it. And, you know, it's now that we've, you know, been doing, Coding Theory has been in business for over 21 years. Yeah. We see the challenge that happens to brands that wait too long, that far a little too behind. Um, but there's also risk in being too far ahead of the curve and, and you know, t- taking taking risks. That's sort of my, my devil's advocate point is like, isn't it almost too late? Like, you know, it's not just like the first to jump in anymore. Yeah, you know, it, I think you're right. It's a, like, a double edged sword. And ultimately, to your core of your question about being risk averse or late to change, like this is a people business. It's a people business on the consumer side and the people who are buying the products and services of our clients. It's a people business on the client side and the people business on the agency side. And ultimately, you know, the aversion to change is just about the culture of the people that are involved. But to your second point about being too early and and wanting to be risk averse, for businesses to make decisions that are very innovative and very progressive, there needs to be a real justification to do so. Like no one wants to like have the metaverse activation when like none of your consumers are in the metaverse and what are you going to do there anyway? Like that would be a bad idea being too early and getting ridiculed. Um, So having a deep understanding of people on all ends of the chain, the consumer and, and customer side, you know, the, the the client side and the agency side, that's really critical to what we do at Code in Theory, because ultimately that's who either makes the decisions or who have to use the things that we're putting out into the world. So mm-hmm. that's how we would try to advise our clients to yeah. your question. Like, yeah, don't be so early just to use the technology if there's no purpose or solve for your customer. But if there is, and there's a real case and an insight on a behavior, like, why don't we give it a test? Well, I'm sure you're running into that a lot these days with the metaverse, right? Like with every brand wanting to do an NFT drop. And Dan, I know you have pretty, pretty uh, strong thoughts about Web3 and how brands and marketers can interact with it today. How are you advising clients in the space and helping them sort of get into it without, like you said, getting too far ahead of themselves in a new medium? Well, I... Yeah, I think it's a good question. And obviously now we're going through like the cycle of the blow up and everybody now goes into the extreme of, you know, the technology wasn't as good as we hoped for. The challenge was, and, you know, when I think about businesses entering Web3, whether it's, you know, from a marketing perspective or some, you know, just building infrastructure, whatever it is, is I don't think they were they, they were looking for to solve the right question. I think oftentimes, especially from brand briefs, came in and it was like it was a PR driven thing. It's like, oh, I need to get in this. It's sort of like the the fast followers. This is happening. This is I want the next award. I want some buzzword worthy thing. And the reality is that is not the way to be innovative in your approach to technology, especially something like Web3, because Web3 has a lot more permanence involved into it. If you think about blockchain and other types of areas within the technology and you know building community and all those things. So I, th- I think it starts with the right question about where is the value of the technology? And this would go with any technology, whether it's Web3 or, or something else. You know, What is the value of the technology? What are the use cases? What are the opportunities? How is this technology going to allow me to do something? That I wasn't allowed, uh, that didn't allow me before. 
what does it enable me to do? It could be a B2B aspect, you know, whether it be supply chain, it could be a new type of relationship with the consumer, it could be around creator economy and ownership, maybe that is one area, but really understanding what is the actual use case and not jumping in the technology for technology uh, sake. That is the time when people get burnt. And we obviously we're seeing that play out in the news cycles right now. Do you have an example of a good use of Web3 right now or a project that you worked on that was like, this is a really solid like use case for a brand? Well, I, th- I think if we're going to be honest about Web3, um, it hasn't hit mass cultural adoption yet. There hasn't actually been that big, big project that has just galvanized everybody that is used onto the platform in the natural behavior. I think there's that's not to say there's not a lot of promise there. Um, I think what ha- what's happened in the last year is uh, the focus has been more around FOMO or speculation, and it as an asset class of uh, equitable upside versus uh, what is the technology can enable in just like the daily way that I engage on my on my phone or my computer or other other digital you know touch points. And I think probably over the next year or two, you'll start to see emerge out of that. You'll start to see use cases that just fit into the way I engage with brands and companies and organizations. It's not it's not you're not engaging in Web three. You're just engaging, and the Web three is a technology that's enabling it to be more effective. I think that's what we're going to mm-hmm. see. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to be fully honest, we haven't seen that that breakthrough project yet that is that, that mm-hmm. seems yeah. like it's a long game yeah. in it. I mean, we obviously you have the biggest public ledger uh, of all time with blockchain. And I think that has a lot of uh, promise to it. But we're still yet to see that cultural breakthrough project. And also, like, if you think about it. If you asked that question maybe like six weeks ago, eight, 12 weeks ago, we would have probably had a very different answer because maybe a lot of people would have said, oh, it's great for loyalty and tokenization for like access, like the, you know, Coachella example. And then FTX goes down and all of a sudden no Mm -hmm. one can find their tokens and everything's gone, you know. So, you know, it's an evolving space. It's a rapidly evolving space. So there are certain places where clearly there are applications that make sense. Like loyalty is going to be an area where it makes sense just because of the ability to communicate directly and allow for for preference and privilege in some ways, there's going to be obviously endless gaming applications. Um, you know, that's, that's already there in, in many, many ways. So there's certain places where you know the behavior and the user base is there to, to do it and to do, probably do it effectively. Mm-hmm. But it's going to continue to evolve as we figure out how to do it. I just like want to remind everybody, we used to get onto the internet through AOL and like a pop-up window where we had to select which category we wanted to go into. And like, think about that today. And that's, you know, that in some ways, that's where we are I mean, with Web3. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember the dial-up noise. Um, yeah, we're still a little, yeah. put it this way. We're still trying to figure out how to do effective message boards and commenting and communicating in short form ways online. Literally from the AOL message right. board to where we are in Twitter or some of these other platforms, we yeah. still have yet to figure that out. That's when I say that it's much more mature than when we started in 2001, but we're still very immature in, in the life cycle of where digital is. Well, Dan, you recently launched on Discourse at, at Web Summit, which is about education and Web3, right? And, and talk a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish there. Yeah, I would say it's even broader than Web3. I, I, it's, it's really the idea that within the media landscape, and, and I, I think people are coming to terms with this a little more recently with, with the fail of, of FTX and some of these the cascading effect around it, but that media in general, especially in the business of technology, has failed to really provide the right level of discourse to be helpful for professionals in the business. 
you know, technology is complicated. Uh, we're not all technologists by, you know, by education. Uh, it's, it's impact. Uh, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of creative thinking that happens within that. But there also has to be a lot of challenging in that. And we, I think we've seen the last couple of years, there just hasn't been the challenge within the media that has really allowed professionals to be guided in the right way. So we've launched on Discourse, part of this DAO that was launched over a year ago, where we've actually came together every week and we were creating these discourse-driven conversations to challenge different ideas, challenge different business models, everything across the business of technology. And we thought it was extremely valuable uh, definitely timely. And I would say discourse in general is something that is lacking across media, even outside of business technology. But on discourse is really to drive a new relationship with readers, a new relationship with each other. Uh, it's driven by business professionals in the business of actually making things, operating companies, investing things, not journalists on the outside trying to cover it. And that inside out approach with an editorial value of discourse as a, as a value that brings actually people together and opens perspective, we think there's a real void in the media landscape and something that can be very, very helpful to professionals trying to guide through their career, whether you're C-level executives or you're more emerging and trying to kind of figure out where your career is in, in this digital first world. And even to the point in the conversation we just had, like one of the exciting aspects of our discourse is there are a lot of different opinions and people do have a different perspective. And oftentimes, because of the way traditional media is generally created, it's very hard to sort of capture something that's evolving and new. You have to take a hard stand on one side or the other is how kind of the industry is set up. And, and our point is we all don't really know. You know, we, we're all trying to figure it out together. And these are the yeah. people who are going to be making those decisions and applying it to their businesses. So why don't we create a forum where we can really look at it from all different sides and really challenge each other in our perspectives to hopefully advance everybody's thinking, not necessarily come out with the right stance. Yeah, especially if you think about the Web3 space, you know, the idea of the fake expert. Um, as you know, we've been talking about it recently, just exists everywhere where, you know, with it's sort of this idea of the creative creator economy where anybody could publish anything, anybody can talk with authority. It's very hard without discourse to get through the noise of like, what is actually real? What is fantasy? You know, what is practical? What is not? Um, and how you make sense of that. And, and, we, we just think that's important to even for ourselves, like, you know, no one is an expert. We're so early that we're experts, but we're not experts. And, and I can tell you, you know, when we've done this at mm -hmm. Coding Theory for over 21 years, we operate the company through discourse. We operate it with each other as leaders within the company to whatever level you are to working with our partners on how we actually uh, have discourse with each other, with our client partners to try to get to the best solutions. We think this is the best way to make decisions, to open perspective and come up with ideas and be creative. If we talk about a creative industry, discourse is a requirement, we believe, to be creative. And we think if we bring that, you know, we find a way to export that out, we think it could be really helpful for people. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're lacking in discourse these days as a society. So I think it's a really important notion. And um, I want to talk a little bit about code in theory. One thing I find really interesting about the agency is that a third of your staff are engineers. I think that's something that a lot of creative agencies probably envy these days, just having that skill set in-house. How do you attract this talent? Like, how do you get engineers to want to work at a creative agency, work on behalf of brands? You know, one, it's in our name. Like, says code right in our name. And the company was founded to be you know, at the intersection of creativity and technology. And if I'm an engineer, if I'm a technologist, uh, which I am not, but 
that's exciting because it's not just delivery. It's not just go make this thing that somebody else designed. It's really figuring out how you can use technology as an unlock to really drive results. And that's a way interesting proposition as opposed to do you just want to go be a front-end engineer somewhere? You know, our task, our challenge to our engineering teams is like, how can you improve the efficacy of all the work that we're doing? How can you contribute to the ideation? How can you feed into the business strategy? How can we use technology like as a way to differentiate our clients? Not necessarily how do we like work on the coolest thing that's just the coolest thing because it's new <laughs> to the theme of this conversation. And so the value proposition to engineers is hopefully different um, when you work with us. Plus also... You know, we're obsessives, we're obsessive compulsives, and we want to make sure that we can make everything that we talk about making. So it's very important to us that the synergistic relationship of the people who work on it, it's not an over the fence, jump it down the hill. Like we want you technology at the center of the work from the first day we're working on it all the way through execution and improvement and optimization, because that's how we're going to get the best results. And then lastly, um, you know, we the way we've developed our, our technology model We've tried to be really, really open ourselves up to a different competitive set. You know, we have an onshore engineering team. We have a nearshore engineering team. We have an offshore engineering team. And when you think about those components, especially for an agency of our size, I mean, we're not like the biggest agency in the world, you know, um, we, it allows us to be very competitive with our clients in terms of, and for our clients in terms of the value we can deliver them as opposed to them going to have to find the offshore optimization and maintenance solution, you know, long-term or having to find a more cost-effective way to blend leadership with, you know, nearshore development. Like we can solve that for our clients. And so that, that's one way that we've been able to open up to compete against non, not just agencies. I mean, we compete against, Development-only, you know, companies all the time. We compete against the consultants and their gigantic engineering arms um, often because we can have those components to deliver value for our clients. Do you feel that you know you have like code in your name? You're sort of putting this at the core of what you do. Do you feel like the rest of the industry has sort of like a branding problem when it comes to attracting tech talent? Do you feel like they're not? It's not selling itself enough. I, I mean. I think there's a mix to that, and I think it's an approach problem. I think they they still approach it um, differently than us. They 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 call people within our organization creatives. We think everybody's creative in our organization. As as Treff said, we think about technology as a creative output. Like it's not just limited to just tradition. What traditional creatives are, I think advertising focuses on. The tactic of advertising, it's very limited in its, its mandate. It, it doesn't have a broader reach to, to really understand the consumer end-to-end uh, customer journey and affect products and services outside of just the marketing. So it's very limiting, like the advertising industry and how they approach it. They still, whether they can do more digital things, they can now. But whether their approach is really digital first, it's not. So if you are a technologist and whether you're coming from, you know, big tech or startup outside of the agency world, you're looking for uh, the diversity of the work that an agency can provide. But you want actually to have also the diversity of mandate, which traditional agencies just don't because they're not positioned that way. That's not what they do. It's not even positioning. It's just not what they do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I also think uh, I want to talk about some of the de and I stuff that code and theory does and some of the, the inclusive design and inclusive writing, uh, product that you just put out. Talk about like how you approach de and I, not just internally for your talent, but also in, in sort of the way you think about design and technology and the products you create for clients. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I want to touch upon is 
we work really hard to not be performative in the things we do within our DEI initiatives. And this was even from the start um, when, when we started to really focus on this. We, we really wanted it to be meaningful. Um, and we thought about it in, in three different lenses. One, employing, you know, obviously how we bring diversity into what we do. Uh, two, which is making, meaning we are a creative company that does things. How could we actually do the things we make? How could it be more inclusive? And lastly, educating, how we think about educating and sort of bettering ourselves to, to have a, a, a bigger awareness and understanding. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of the, the higher order lens that we do. And we make sure everything sort of fits within that framework that actually will be meaningful and, and not performative. Specifically on the making, you know, we've launched uh, what we think is the first holistic inclusive design and marketing practice. What we mean by that is it, it touches everything within the organization, has speciality. It's uh, it's it's run by a woman named Kirsten Nemo. She's really focused on sort of making it the fabric to how we approach the client. So similar to, I'm going to just use an analogy of when we think about design, you can't not think about typography and letting and kerning. It's just in, in the nature to which how you design things. And when we're thinking about our client partners and what we're doing, we're trying to put in the fabric of everything we do and really holistic across all our offerings. So the the words up, I think, uh, is is something that we published recently, um, which, which is a guide ar- around inclusive writing. So we, we open sourced this and we were showing, we wanted to kind of give the industry sort of things that we were working on to think about how we think about words and writing and bring inclusivity into the meaning of how we actually communicate. That's one example of what we're doing, but we think about it from a technology perspective, from accessibility. There's so many different things when you think about products, services, and marketing to how you could be more inclusive, how you can think about bandwidth in uh, maybe uh, lower income areas, how you can think about uh, a banking system that may have le- uh, left people out of a system and how you think about products and services within that. You know, how do you challenge what it doesn't need to be a bank? Are there other things you can do as a bank to actually bring more customers and, and different types of meaningful experiences in? And obviously the communication and the representation to make sure that the advertising and the marketing uh, is properly represented and inclusive in the, in the stuff you're putting out. So it, it's really a holistic approach that we're thinking about both in our walls and sort of outside the walls, both whether we're open sourcing what we're doing or whether it's the services that are attached to everything we do. That's very important. And we have the last thing I should say about it is we have a philosophy called 5% shifts. And the idea is that whether internal or external, whether it's our client partners, that we want to think in compounding 5% moments. So instead of being too lofty and too big where you actually don't make any change happen, how can we do small incremental incremental, uh, things that are actually meaningful? Meaningful in the things we make again, the, the people we hire, the programs and policies we put in place, the things that we open source and put out into into the world. How do we keep making 5% shifts? Because 5% that compounds itself becomes a lot more than 5% pretty quickly. And that's kind of been our approach to both DEI and the inclusive design and marketing work that we do. Yeah. I'm curious how you applied some of that thinking to um, rebranding the Washington football team, right? Which was sort of like at the center of this cultural debate. Like, how did you navigate such a touchy hot button topic and approach that? Yeah, I, I think um, it was clearly the name had, had to uh, go. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if, if you look at the background and the history of the name, it, it's it's inarguable. Um 
So, so you know, we got brought on, and origi- uh, initially we we named it the Washington Football Team, and that was really intentional that we wanted to give the space to do a proper proper process properly that we could do really the first most inclusive sports franchise name, forget about NFL, just in general. I don't think there's ever been uh, an inclusive name at the scale that the uh, Washington Commanders were. And then it was a, a really large project where first we started to engage with the community, the fans, different groups within the DMV area, uh, and basically just thinking about in a, a holistic data-first approach. You know, you think about why a digital first creative agency is doing a, a brand. It was really a holistic data-first approach to collect ideas, collect information, collect how it made people feel, how it brought them into a fan base. The commanders have bigger aspirations about how they think about themselves, not just on the field, but actually off the field and how a brand at this scale could have impact. And through that, we were able to narrow down Obviously, there was a lot of creativity involved, even using data. Data isn't the thing that tells you what to do. It just enables you to actually be creative. And from there, we were able to really work with the fan base and different underrepresented groups to get to a name that people felt passionate about and also can tie to the history of what happened within the fan base uh, previously and sort of how it takes it for the next 100 years. Yeah, I think listening, right, is a big part of that, sort of like crowd, like sourcing from the from the ground up. What does the audience want? What are they saying? Um, I think if more work started that way, then we'd have a lot more inclusive work out there. So we're sort of in this place in the economy right now where the outlook is hazy. There's recessions in other parts of the world. How are clients, are they shifting their attitudes in terms of the work that they do with code and theory, or are they still going full steam ahead, digital transformation? Like how are they kind of viewing the the landscape right now? I mean, look, uh, you know, it depends. Certainly, if you're going, it, it, it's a definitional question. Not to like raise the question up, but like it's a definitional. It's a definitional question. You know, whatever your definition of digital transformation is, it's like one of those words that like it can mean anything you want it to mean. Like you know, for some of our clients, it's like we've never sold yes, a thing online before. We we like need to sell something online. So like, can you help us with an e-commerce solution? It's like of course. But most of I wouldn't, and we wouldn't, at Code and Theory, consider that like true digital transformation. For us, digital transformation is what we started this conversation with. It's taking the idea of digital and technology and moving it to the center of your business strategy, not necessarily relaying it to a tactical or channel execution. So from that perspective, there's always so much more work to do uh, because the technology is changing. The ability of technology to impact business is constantly changing. The platforms are changing. Workflows are changing. Human behaviors are changing. So many of and most of our clients, I would say, fall into the latter category where they now see digital transformation is a fundamental strategy to transform impact and growth in their business. Not necessarily we're shifting the media spend from traditional and billboard media onto online digital and VOD, right? Of course that happens, but it's part of a bigger holistic strategy. And from that perspective, the demand is higher than ever. Yeah. I guess the, the point I'm trying to get at is like, is investing in new technology staying ahead of the curve? Like, is that recession proof for brands? Do they feel it's absolutely necessary to, Continue investing? It's a great question. I mean, it really depends on your category. Of course, in a difficult economic time, budgets are going to be scrutinized. If you're in a, a business that's highly reliant on sort of disposable consumer spending in the middle of a recession, that's going to be a little more challenging for you. But what we've historically experienced at Code and Theory, and this is true in 2001, this is true in 2008, this is true in COVID, and this is true now. 
is people invest in infrastructure. People invest in creating new capabilities. People invest in new ways to grow the business when the business is you know, in a pressured situation. So we've always done very well um, in difficult times, you know, not because we're taking advantage, but because our clients are smart and our clients understand that while maybe I don't need to spend all of my money on generating consumer demand in a time where there's not going to be some, let me use some of that money to create infrastructure, create opportunity to create products and services that will power the next wave while I have the time and the ability to do so. Right. Michael, Dan, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with me today. Really interesting to learn more about code and theory and to have you guys on the podcast. So thank you. Hey, always fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time and conversation. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast.